At Firehouse Subs, a portion of every purchase helps provide life-saving equipment to first responders. We make our subs differently because our subs can make a difference every day. That's why we're bringing back our daily medium sub special. Enjoy a different handcrafted medium sub at a special price for every day of the week. From Meatball Monday to Italian Sunday. Get it for a limited time, only at Firehouse Subs. Tap the banner now to start your pickup order. Not long ago, everyone knew that you're either born a boy or girl. Not anymore. The Biden administration is pushing radical gender experiments on children, changing their names, clothes, identities, and bodies. Joe Biden and his left-wing allies pushed boys to take estrogen to appear more feminine. They pushed girls to take testosterone so they grow facial hair. Biden and progressive leaders promote puberty blockers to keep kids from developing to normal men and women. These drugs can leave you sterile, infertile, impotent. Joe Biden and the new left even promote surgery on teens and young adults, removing breasts and genitals. They want boys in our daughters' bathrooms and sports teams. And now, the Biden administration is planning to issue new rules that would force doctors to prescribe dangerous drugs and worse. Tell Joe Biden and left-wing leaders across America, hands off our kids. Paid for by America First Legal. You're listening to the Huddle Up! Podcast with Chad Jensen and Zach Kelberman. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com and sound off. And now it's time to drop some knowledge. Welcome in, everybody, to the Huddle Up! Podcast presented, as always, by Mile High Huddle and 24-7 Sports, powered by Overtime Media. I'm your host, Chad Jensen. With me, as always, is my partner in crime, who you all know and love, is your Denver Broncos reporter for 24-7 Sports. He is Zach Kelberman. Zach, I don't know if you saw this interesting tweet that Mike Kliss dropped on Thursday afternoon, but the Denver Broncos, I don't know where he got his research, but I trust Kliss when it comes to things like this, obviously. He claims that the Denver Broncos, he published this, the defense has been the third worst in allowing tight end yards over the past three years in the NFL. Third worst. Over the last three years alone, they've allowed 2,997 yards. So just under 3,000 yards over three years, which means they've been averaging about a 1,000-yard season to tight ends year in, year out since the Super Bowl. It's it's from the last couple years. Let's chalk it up to coaching and the scheme because at times, Chad, tight ends were literally running uncovered down the middle of the field. Even George Kittle in his huge game against the Broncos, he went uncovered. So that's on coaching. But personnel, the same um, people are in place. At least Todd Davis are and Josie Jewell are on the inside linebackers. That could be the make or break with changing it under Vic Fangio. It's been no you know, secret that tight ends have been the Broncos' Achilles heel on defense. They can stop the run. They can get after the quarterback. They can force some turnovers. They just cannot cover tight ends. I would be hopeful to think I'm not blaming everything on Vance Joseph, but uh, those scheme mismatches and the way they went from man and zone, it just was not conducive to covering tight ends. I have complete faith that Vic Fangio will fix that. I just worry still about the inside linebacking core keeping up in pass coverage with the personnel they still have. And it's – it's <clears throat> <clears throat> and it's definitely a fair concern, definitely. I mean, that's the big knock on both Todd Davis and Josie Jules, their coverage ability. But, I mean, if you look at last year, George Kittle, I mean, he had over 210 yards receiving record day against the Broncos in Week 14. Most of that, for what it's worth, came in the first half when Joe Woods was coordinating the defense. 
Vance Joseph took over in the second half and and shut him down, basically. So maybe there's a little something to, you know, there's a reason why Vance Joseph's been able to get some of his jobs and he's just allowed Joe Woods maybe too much leniency on the defensive play calling side. That's just me being optimistic, but it still goes back. If you look at what Vic Fangio did two weeks later, okay, week 16, the Chicago Bears take on the San Francisco 49ers. And George Kittle does, he, he grabs seven balls, but he was targeted a whopping 12 times. He hauled in 74 yards in receiving. They kept him out of the end zone. He was basically not a factor. I mean, 74 yards to a, a tight end, if on, you know, all things being equal, that seems like a lot. But when you consider that by that point in the season, he was their only offensive weapon at all, you understand that it's pretty much nothing. Like, that's all they had to go on. It, but it also works in the other way where the Broncos knew he was getting the ball. They're also facing a third-string quarterback against an offense they should beat. So, I mean, either way you spin it, no matter who was coordinating the defense or how his yardage came, it's unacceptable to have George Kittle have that many yards and get embarrassed with the personnel. Uh, you make a good point, though, with the coaching. I, I will say going back to even 2016, preceding Vance Joseph and Joe Woods, they had that problem, and some of the same people, Brandon Marshall, Todd Davis, were around back then. So hopefully uh, Josie Jewell can be that answer. Hopefully Fangio can scheme and use those dimebackers like Will Parks and uh, Demonte Thomas to help get after tight ends. But it, until they prove otherwise, it's going to continue being a, a, a highlight factor for opposing offenses. They're going to target that spot of the Broncos' defense until they can prove they can stop it. It's going to be interesting to see if Vic Fangio can scheme this team out of those woes. But, I mean, you look at the AFC West, you still have Travis Kelsey as an opponent at the tight end position you have to account for. So here's to hoping that Fangio can wave his wand and and, uh, take care of some of that business. But today, of course, it is all about the VIP mailbag. We're going to answer your questions here in just a second. First, though, make sure you're following the show on Twitter. Super important if you want to keep your finger on the polls of what's happening with the Huddle Up podcast in real time. It's easy, at Huddle Up Pod. If you're on iTunes, we'd sure appreciate it if you leave us a creative review. Five-star rating certainly wouldn't hurt. And if you're on YouTube, keep liking. Make sure you're subscribing. Hit that bell for notifications. We appreciate you. All right, you guys, it is that time of the week where Zach and I take a peek inside the Mile High Mailbag because we are your football priests and each and every Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a week we're here to offer you the absolution and answers to your burning broncos questions and we got to start off with the vip subscribers couple of questions from the from our dudes there this one comes zach from stewart bronco here's what he says this time of year i like to evaluate the rookies i was watching some justin hollands i love his acceleration off the line 
He not only has length, but uses length with his arms to keep some distance between himself and the blocker, which allows him to get leverage and set up moves. Another small frame, but fast and beastly edge who was a later round pick was Robert Mathis. I like Hollins' upside, and if he could become anything close to Robert Mathis, it would take this pass rush to yet another level like those Giants D-lines that destroyed the Patriots in both Super Bowls. What do you think of Justin's Hall- Justin Hollins' game? You seemed to like Jalen Jelks, but Hollins went higher. How do you compare these two, and are there any players you would have taken above Hollins at that spot? Thanks, Priest, from Stuart Bronco. All right, so here's the thing on the Jalen Jelks love. That was me. That was, that, was, that was coming from me because at the Combine, I just loved talking to him. I knew the Broncos had he, – he interested me at the Combine from, from our conversations. And I knew at that point also he had told me that the Broncos had talked to him and a little birdie before the Combine had also told me that the Broncos had an interest in Jalen Jelks. And so I put up some tape on him, watched him. I liked him. And you're right, Hollins, though, that's who ended up in Denver. Zach, what are your thoughts on, on Hollins? Because I know you've, you've always liked Hollins more than Jelks, yeah. both of whom. I mean, that was basically the Oregon Ducks, you know, edge duo was Jelks and Hollins. But what's, what are some of your answers for, for Stuart Bronco? Yeah, I was a big Hollins fan coming out of Oregon. I'm really glad the Broncos snatched him up. And the Robert Mathis comparison is definitely interesting. Mathis is one of the most underappreciated pass rushers out of this generation. Dwight Freeney got all the love there with the Colts, but Mathis was putting in work. Um, if he's right, though, if he can be anywhere near that dominant with that level of get-off and that uh, technician ability with those arms and that movement ability, the Broncos have a player and a future starter and a longtime starter. I think starting out, though, he'll be a backup and worked into that role. Obviously, they have two great outside linebackers in Miller and Chubb. But, you know, the depth behind them is definitely tenuous. Jeff Holland is is there, but he's not definitely proven at all. And in uh, Dakota Watson's not anything special. So Holland will have his opportunity. Excuse me, Hollins. And he'll get his opportunity to prove that he can be more than just a, a bit player. When it's all said and done, how I'm high on him, his potential, he can be a starter eventually down the road. Maybe not for the Broncos, but for another team for sure. There's a few guys to answer his question about who we might have taken besides him. So Justin Hollins went with pick 156 in the fifth round. There was a player who I actually expected the Broncos to take there that ended up going literally the pick after him that I'm not convinced today wouldn't have been a better selection. So that was kind of poorly worded. I think the Broncos maybe made a mistake and, and didn't take Blake Cashman, the linebacker from Minnesota. Now, Cashman, all things being equal with the injury bug, Zach, if he'd have been healthy completely coming out of his final year at Minnesota and going into the combine and all that, he's probably a you know top 100 pick. But because he had some shoulder issues, you know he ended up going late in the fifth round. And he's a guy that actually was a very similar player to Luke Keekley. And, you know, Luke Keekley was a super hype guy. He ended up going really high in the draft in the first round, obviously, back when the Panthers took him. But Blake Cashman, if you turn on the tape and watch him, he reminded me of Luke Keekley. So as it stands today, I'm, I'm no, I can't tell you it's any different today than it was on draft day that I wish the Broncos would have taken Blake Cashman at 156 instead of Justin Hollins. But if you keep going down that list, I mean, there's a few guys there. You got Cameron Smith from USC was a linebacker. Um, I mean, I just thought that they needed someone who was more of a proven linebacker. And even though Justin Hollins has ed- dual you know, edge and off-ball capability, I mean, he's pretty new to playing the off-ball. He shined in the East-West Shrine game, won defensive MVP for his efforts and all that. But, like, Blake Cashman was a career off-ball linebacker. And if you can get him healthy and stay healthy, I mean, he's a very good linebacker at the NFL level, I believe. 
Uh, Chad, I'm with you on both counts here. I, I believe Cashman would have been a good pick. He reminds me a lot of Sean Lee from the Cowboys. And also, I believe in that spot they should have went with a true inside linebacker. I've been saying it all offseason that one of Fangio's minor mistakes was not getting a true linebacker either in free agency or the draft. But obviously, he's content. Um, I also happen to believe he's better at OLB, Hollins, and he will be at inside linebacker. So we have to trust the coaching, though. Uh, they they think they have two good starters there in Jewel and Davis, and uh, they have good backups there. So he will compete in that role. I'm not mad about the pick, though, considering what I saw on the film. He could have been a third, fourth rounder. So if you get him in the fifth, I'm not you know mad about that in the least. Yeah, I'm, I'm just excited to see how he looks in camp. I'm excited to see how the Broncos end up using him. Is he, are they going to play him at the edge? Are they going to play him yeah. off ball? Are they going to move him around? I, I don't like the idea, I'll be honest with you, of moving him around because we've just seen with other players in the very recent history of the Broncos that it's not the best thing to have a guy moving around early in their career. Look no further than Demarcus Walker, yep. right, who they stood up and played outside linebacker as a rookie before realizing their mistake and putting him back on the D-line late in the season. And then they play him in Week 17 against the Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes' first career start as a rookie that year. And wouldn't you know, he gets a sack, he wreaks some havoc, he does some stuff because he was playing in his natural spot. So that's the one thing is I don't care which one it is. I mean, the, Bron- the Broncos coaches, Vic Fangio, they need to figure out obviously where they think his, his biggest impact comes from. But once you identify that, get to it as soon as possible and stick to it, Zach. Yeah, it also reminds me kind of of what happened with Justin Simmons. I mean, he's been shuttling between free safety, strong safety, cornerback. Just give a young guy one job and one set of responsibilities, not add more to his plate. I'm definitely in agreement with you. Either OLB or IOB, but pick a spot for Justin Hollins. Let him go to work. If I had in my way, it'd be OLB, but we have to defer to Vic Fangio, at least in the interim. All right, next question here. And also, thanks for the question, Stuart. That was a great one, buddy. Uh, this one comes from Devon, also a VIP subscriber at milehighhuddle.com, going on 19 months as a VIP. He says, I haven't been active in the conversation for a while. He's talking about the forums. But you guys better believe I haven't missed a pod. Who do you think the Broncos' stat leaders will be? Like Chris Harris, is he going to lead the team in interceptions? Or Von Miller leading the team in sacks? Keep up the good work, Broncos Priest. Thanks, Devon. We... Uh, we saw that question prepared a little bit. We'll go through this list, and uh, I'll, I'll read Zach's list here. Well, actually, I'll just serve them over to you, Zach. You say who it is, and then I'll tell you if I, if I have a departure at all from some of your answers here. So, interceptions. Who do you got leading the team in interceptions in 2019? Bold prediction. I do have Chris Harris Jr. A bold prediction would be Kareem Jackson, but a logical prediction would be Chris Harris Jr. only because he's been the interceptions leader and he's going to be moved around between inside and outside. So I think he'll feast in a Vic Fangio defense. So I was going to say Jackson for the same reasons. He can play safety and corner, but I'm sticking with Chris Harris Jr. in a contract here to prove his worth. I think that's definitely a safe bet. One player I'll put in there, though, is Justin Simmons because he had three interceptions last year on a really bad defense. And if you look at the production Eddie Jackson had last year as the free safety in Vic Fangio's scheme, I mean, he had six interceptions alone, plus he defensed 15 passes. You look at comparatively to Justin Simmons, he only had four defense passes in all of last year. Now, you might say, well, then why do you see him as being a threat to, you know, contend for the interception belt for the Broncos? Because of Vic Fangio and because I think Fangio's smart enough that they're going to stop playing around. They're going to put Simmons where he belongs. And as a ranging sideline to sideline safety who can use his eyes and just go after the ball, that to me I think could add up to some some interceptions. It might be enough to lead the way. Now, let's look at sacks. 
Do you got anyone other than Von Miller, Zach, leading the team in sacks this year? I do, and this is my bold take, and I know it won't be agreed with that much, but I do have Bradley Chubb besting Von Miller this year. I believe that passing of the torch will come sooner than anticipated. I said this a couple months ago, and I just feel the momentum there in the Vic Fangio defense and the way he's complimented and praised over the top for his standards, Bradley Chubb, while kind of undermining Von Miller and kind of pushing him aside subtly and verbally. I just think now is the time coming off a 12-sack year for Bradley Chubb to really take that next step. I believe he'll be in the 15, 16 sack range. And if not more than Von Miller, definitely, definitely close. He's uh, the future. And I think Von knows it. He's the younger player and he has some tools that Von doesn't have right now. It's happening before our very eyes. The, the torch is getting passed to Bradley Chubb. The question is how quickly. We saw it happen with going from Elvis Dumerville to Von Miller back in 2011 and 2012. That happened over about a two-year period. And then Dumerville, the Broncos let him let him go. Then even with DeMarcus Ware, the torch had really already been passed by that point. Von Miller was the guy. But at the same time, I guess we should consider the fact that part of the rationale for bringing in DeMarcus Ware ahead of the 2014 season is the Broncos were also trying to get a big brother in there who could talk some sense into Miller, who was coming off a, a season riddled by injury and a suspension. So it took, a, it took some uh, you know big brother mentorship to turn the ship around and, and elevate Von Miller to the player he eventually became in, you know, that was crowned obviously by what he accomplished in those playoffs that led to Super Bowl 50. So that, that torch though, he's going into what his eighth year that it's and, and Bradley Chubb's coming off a 12 sack rookie season. I'll, I'll ride with you on this, Zach. I think Chubb will end up as the sack leader in 2019 for the Broncos. And let me just say, I'm not taking anything away from Von Miller. I love the guy. He's one of the best pass rushers I've ever seen. They could both be 15-sack guys. I mean, 40 sacks combined, that bold prediction from NFL.com, isn't that outlandish. I could actually see it happening. They're that good. I just, I'm a big Chubb guy, and from what he showed on tape last year, and I just think also Von's going to need a new contract in a couple years. And in a couple years, Chubb's going to want a new contract. And can you really pay both? that franchise quarterback money. And they're going to have to pay, hopefully, a franchise quarterback down the road. There's so many variables. And with the way Von Miller has gone in the past with Elway and the way he handled Chris Harris Jr. and some of these vets, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, a couple years from now, it's Chubb being the full-time guy and not just behind Von. Let's move on to tackles leaders. Now, last year, Todd Davis led the Denver Broncos in tackles, followed just behind him by Justin Simmons. That, that, could, that tells you pretty much everything you need to know about how Things went wrong for the Broncos defensively last year that their free safety finished second on the team in tackles. But do you have Davis leading again, Zach? Yeah, I do. And I he, to give him that, he's a good tackler. He's a good run stopper. He's a good two-down inside linebacker. And Vic Fangio will know how and when to maximize his talent, which is tackling. So, yeah, uh, that was my second choice, though, with Simmons because he plays a lot near the line and very versatile athletic player. But, yeah, Todd Davis for me in tackles. All right. We still have to finish answering this question in full for Devon here on the offensive side, we'll tell you who our rush leaders are going to be, receiving leaders, rushing touchdowns, receiving touchdowns. We'll get to all that first. We just got to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. All right, Zach, let's flip it over to the other side of the ball for our VIP subscriber here. Devon wants to know who we think that some of the statistical leaders on the Denver Broncos are going to be in 2019. On that side of things, who do you have leading the team in rushing because you have two young hungry backs looking to make their mark in 2019 who do you think when the chips are finally down the dust settles who's going to lead the team 
Uh, It's going to be close and a lot closer than fans realize. I'm going with Philip Lindsay only because he's the most explosive back of the two between him and Royce Freeman. But Freeman's going to get a ton of work, a ton of early down work. And I'm saying this contingent on Lindsay's health. If his wrist comes back to 100%, if not, I can amend this answer because Freeman would be the guy. But all things being equal, uh, Lindsay, yeah, just because he can rip off those 80-yard touchdown runs to the house anytime he touches the ball. So um, tentatively, it might not be a 1,000-yard campaign, but I think he will edge at Royce Freeman in rushing. If it were who's going to lead the team in carries, I think it's probably going to end up being Royce Freeman. Agreed. But Lindsey just gets more production out of the, the carries that he gets. You know, he's just a more explosive player. And, you know, he might take his first two carries of the game for three and four yards respectively, but that third, fourth carry, wherever it might be, you know he's going to pop it for 15, 18 yards yep. and, and, and just rotate like that. And that's how it's going to be. I think Philip Lindsay has another 1,000-yard season in this, in this Rich Scangarello offense. I think just over. I don't think he's going to be a big Clinton Portis, Mike Anderson, Terrell Davis, 1,500-yard rusher. But I think he is going to get over 1,000 again in 2019. All right, let's move to receiving yards leader. Who you got, Zach? I have Cortland Sutton. I think this is his breakout year, and I'm, I'm not quite as high on him as I am on Bradley Chubb, but uh, considering Emmanuel, Hander, Emmanuel Sanders' uh, injury, excuse me, and also uh, I think he's further along, uh, Cortland Sutton, than Deshaun Hamilton. So uh, Joe Flacco's going to love him, throwing the ball downfield to him, getting him open in the middle of the field, in the red zone. Uh, Sutton's going to feast this year. He'll have over 1,000 yards and truly take that next step from uh, second receiver to first receiver, wide receiver one. So he's my receiving leader this year. Yeah, I don't disagree. I don't disagree. I think that's how it's going to shake out. I think, though, you know, we'll see how Sanders ends up bouncing back from this injury, but my dark horse to lead the team in receptions is going to be Deshaun Hamilton. I I don't sleep on that as a possibility because if Sanders struggles to acclimate, get back to health, and, you know, stay on the field, Hamilton's going to be the wide receiver, too. And even if Sanders hits the field A-OK, ready to roll week one, He's still going to be the slot receiver. And more often than not, I think you're going to see the Broncos, you know, the majority of their snaps are going to come in 11 personnel with three receivers on the field. And Joe Flacco will utilize the middle of the field, unlike Case Keenum last year. So don't don't sleep on that possibility. All right. Rushing touchdowns. Is that going to correspond to who you got as the rushing leader? I'm going with Royce for this one, only because he's going to vulture goal line work and short yardage work, and I think the Broncos' offense will be more efficient this year. So he'll lead the Broncos, I think, in rushing touchdowns, but everything else uh, along that side of the ball and, and rushing in the backfield will go to Philip Lindsay. I do not disagree. All right, last one, and then we'll move on to one or two more questions. Receiving touchdowns, is that going to be Cortland Sutton, or do you see maybe Noah Fant coming in to scalp that? I, I was waffling between Fant and uh, Sutton, but I think I, I really do believe, and I agree with you that receptions it could be Deshaun Hamilton. I think he's going to have a big year. I'm really just high on on Sutton. I think he could be an 80 catch, 1200 yard guy, eight touchdowns. He's going to take that next step if all the stars align. He can acclimate with Joe Flacco on the Broncos offense, can hit its stride. So I'm going with Sutton. I, I'm just a big believer in him for 2019. He had 16 red zone targets as a rookie. Cortland Sutton, which is is a big number. So he's going to do better than that this year. He's going to probably be in the the low 20s, I would guess, and he'll probably convert, even if he only converts, Zach, a third of those. That'll probably be enough in a Joe Flacco-led offense to lead the team in receiving touchdowns. So I concur, Cortland Sutton. All right, let's uh, move on here. We got a question from uh, one of our listeners on YouTube, JL Avenger 23 He says, greetings from Costa Rica. I'm a Broncos fan since 97 when they changed the logo, and then the Super Bowl win came. 
I am in charge of the Broncos fan club in Costa Rica. Uh, kudos. Great effort by you guys. Really like your analysis of all the Broncos-related things. Keep Mile High strong. My question is, what could be the plan with Brett Rippon? I see Flacco, Locke, and Hogan on the 53-man roster and Rippon on the practice squad. Why could they have picked Rippon? Although I like him as a quarterback since Boise State. Can Hogan be out even after the contract extension and being, besides Flacco, the experienced guy? And what about the tight ends? Can Jake Butt and Troy Fumagalli stay on the 53, especially after the injury? So let's start with Brett Rippon here. What do you think the plan is? Uh, I mean, obviously, they're going to have to let the chips fall in terms of the competition. But if you could talk to one of the flies on the wall, what do you think they'd tell you about the conversations Rich Scangarello and company have had with regard to their plan for Brett Rippon? In a best-case scenario, I think for Rippon, it could be a spot on the 53. And in a worst case or a more realistic case, it could be the practice squad. Uh, right now, Kevin Hogan is firmly entrenched as a number two, and for now is the operative words there, uh, because Drew Locke is going to come in that battle this summer and, and heat things up. But it, it falls in, in a bad spot for Rippon. They're not going to carry as many quarterbacks on the 53. And uh, if Hogan plays consistently and shows he's competent, he's going to have a spot on the team as well. So um, ultimately, I think practice squad is a good spot for him this year. Let him learn, let him absorb, and hopefully he doesn't get poached off there. Really, what happens with Brett Rippon, of course, is dependent on Brett Rippon, but I think it's also highly dependent on what what Kevin Hogan does with this opportunity because if he plays well, the Broncos might go, you know what, Joe Flacco missed four games last year with that hip, and even though you know Drew locks the future, if things go off the rails with Flacco or he gets hurt or whatever, we don't necessarily want to ruin Locke with a – you know, playing him too soon. I could see them talking themselves into keeping Hogan on the roster because he has four years in the NFL. He might only have one career start, and he might have only appeared in four NFL games. But he has four years of being in the NFL and just that mentality and, you know, the experience of that, the different systems he's learned and being around the game. I could see them talking themselves into that. Now, if he is basically the player we expect him to be, which is fair to middling, and Brett Rippon can show that, hey, look – as a fail-safe, well, you better go with me because I'm as, I can prove I'm as good today as, as Hogan is. And plus, if you're going to carry a third quarterback, don't you want to carry someone that has upside? Right. So that's how I could see Brett Rippon making this roster. But what about the tight ends? Do you think Jake Butt and Fumagalli both find their way to the 53? Uh, this is so tough to predict right now, all these tight ends. I, I think they carry them all because they all have carried, except Noah Fant, they all carry injury risk pretty much, and uh, the Broncos can't afford to risk it. And Fant also is probably a year away, Chad, I think, from really becoming that tight end one and that difference maker. They're going to be a mishmash unit, and whoever steps up and be consistent, and that's probably going to be higher minute first, they're going to get the uh, the majority of the reps there. But I do believe Fumagalli is going to make it. He's further along in his rehab process, and he offers good pass-catching upside. And But they invested, I think, fairly heavily in him considering where he should have been in that draft, and then he kind of fell to them. And he says he's coming back stronger and better, so I will see what he can do. But I think Fumagalli is a lock, and obviously Fan and Hireman are. So it could, if anyone, but would be the odd man out. Okay, here's one also on YouTube from Nugmaster224. He says, big fan of the podcast. You guys put out more Broncos content than anyone. Glad you're taking YouTube comments. Here's my question. With questions about Flacco's durability, at least in recent years, and with a young Drew Locke coming up, pass blocking on the offensive line becomes critical, not just this year, but for years to come. There has been concern about Garrett Bowles' development, and Ron Leary is likely only around for another year. 
How is the offensive line talent in next year's draft? And how high of a priority do you see addressing the offensive line going forward compared to positions such as cornerback that also could quickly become shallow in the next year or so? Um, thanks for the question. Nugmaster224, appreciate you. Let's start with the offensive line. Here's what I know. Like, Zach and I will be the first ones to tell you we're not as uh, gung-ho about learning everything there is to know about an upcoming draft class like our counterparts, Nick Kendall, Carl Dummler, Eric Trickle. Those guys could probably tell you, you know, off the top of their head exactly what how it's shaping up. Here's what I do know, though. Eric Trickle has told me that the offensive tackle class is looking better, is looking good in the 2020 draft. So, Zach, if Garrett Bowles craps the bed in his last hurrah with Mike Munchak here in 2019, I don't think the Broncos will bat an eye about going back to the well because this this 2020 tackle class sounds like it's shaping up well. I'm with you on that. This is his. It, it is his last chance, and uh, they do need to invest in the offensive line at, at tackle high because they don't have even a developmental guy behind them that they're you know they're bringing along slowly. It's Garrett Bowles who's definitely uh, on the bubble in terms of his development, and there's Juwan James who has injury concerns and and uh, you know technique concerns. If they don't pan out, I would not be surprised at all if they went offensive tackle by the second round at the latest next year. And I do think it is a priority, but it is. A lot better. The starting five is is significantly better this time around than it was last year, and that's even without Matt Paradis because I think you saw in those final seven games that Connor McGovern had to start that as good as Matt Paradis is, he, he's not good enough that you know him missing from the O line is going to completely tank the unit. Like the difference in terms of talent and ability between Matt Paradis and Connor McGovern, honestly, Zach is not that much. It's not that big of a drop off, all things being equal, and so you lose. Paradis, but McGovern stays, and then you upgrade the right tackle with Juwan James, and you draft Dalton Reisner to play left guard. So if things go okay with Ronald Leary's recovery, and Garrett Bowles, you know, shows even a modicum of progress in year three, this could be a very, very good starting five. But the question again, and Zach, you hit on it, depth. Yeah, I'm always the first one to say that this line has top 10 upside with the, the personnel they have in place and with Mike Munchak calling the shots. But there's so many ifs that you just named in that one sentence alone, Chad. If Ronald Leary is healthy, if Connor McGovern adapts to playing center full time, if Juwan James and Garrett Bowles pan out, I mean, these are not certainties at all. I mean, it can easily be a disastrous O line, even with Mike Munchak. So. I have faith it'll be better. It's not saying much, but at least be more consistent. And it's got to be a point of emphasis. If it's not Joe Flacco quarterback, they want to protect Drew Locke, whoever's the future. They got to invest heavily. And uh, again, I would not be surprised at all next year if things don't go well, which I believe they will, if they make it a priority in the first or second round. All right, let's get one more question here. Then we're out from Aba Shari on YouTube. He says, hey, MHH, I've been listening to your podcast for about a year now, and I really enjoy it. My question comes in, relevant to the wide receiving core. Who are some dark horse wide receiver competitors that could compete for that fifth and sixth wide receiver spot? I have personally been drawn to Kelvin McKnight, although his 40-yard dash is only a 4.62 On the field, he looks like he's burning defenses a lot like a true burner. Could he be the burner wide receiver that the Broncos need, or at least a good kick returner slash punt returner? Keep up the good content. Thank you, sir. We appreciate you. Glad you found us. Um, you know, Kelvin McKnight is interesting, Zach. But I'm not sure. 
I mean, as a returner, he's going to factor in. So if the Broncos are carrying six wide receivers, absolutely, he's going to factor in. But he's also going to have to fend off Trinity Benson, who's a lot faster in terms of straight speed. And Brendan Langley, who ran a, what was it, Zach, a 4-3 four, four, or something like that mm-hmm. at, at the at the Combine. So there's there's some guys there. And then don't forget the shiny new sixth-round pick, Jawan Winfrey. Right. And River Craycraft. There, there's just so point. many so many good receivers on the bottom of the Broncos depth chart. It's going to make anyone from the outside almost impossible to crack. And McKnight does have the you know the speed to help him there. But if they want a burner, they have Brendan Langley. If they want a kickoff returner, they have uh, or a punt returner, they have Craycraft or Brendan Langley. They have players on the roster who fit those roles. And the burner thing, I mean, if they wanted a true guy, they would have used a, a draft pick earlier on one, a pure burner. They believe Emmanuel Sanders is coming back to full form, and Noah Fant, he's a fast tight end down the middle of the field. So but the combination of those two players equals one burner wide receiver. Then you can add on, if he sticks, which I don't think he will, Brendan Langley as that guy. So between those receivers, it's going to be impossible for McKnight to make the 53. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how it shakes out. The guys I don't think really stand much of a chance. Just two guys off the top of my head, Aaron Burbridge and Fred Brown. I think they're going to be basically camp fodder to keep that fourth arm going, you know, that fourth camp arm, someone to throw to. I think we've mentioned today all the guys who are really going to be pushing at the bottom of that depth chart. But that's going to do it for today's episode of the Huddle Up Podcast, VIP Mile High Mailbag. Thank you, everyone, for your questions. VIP subscribers, our listeners on YouTube, that community there on YouTube, Zach, it's just it's such a fun, thriving, energetic, and engaged community. We appreciate you guys. Um, make sure you're following the show, though, on Twitter, at HuddleUpPod. That's the best way, as you know, to stay abreast of everything that's happening with the show in real time. When we have something to announce, that's where we go first. So make sure you're following there. And then you can find my partner, Zach Kelberman, on Twitter, at Kelberman247, myself, at Chad and Jensen. Stay tuned because tomorrow you will have a fresh episode of Building the Broncos, previewing training camp next week. We're, this is the last weekend until training camp is back, so stoked for that. And then Zach and I will be back in the saddle for you with a fresh episode on Monday. So everybody have a great weekend. For Zach Kelberman, I'm Chad Jensen. Talk to you then. You've been listening to the Huddle Up! Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 